when they brought this ultrasound picture in and I was watching it, there was life. I mean, there was moving arms and legs and just this crazy rapid heartbeat. I just jumped from that table and bolted out the door. And that moment, I didn't really have a plan B, but I knew I had to choose life because there was a time years earlier when I had made a very different choice. Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. We are just wrapping up season five and going right into season six. This show means a lot to me and you mean a lot to me. Our show is growing because of you, the listeners, and I appreciate your messages and your encouragement. I appreciate you being a part of the adoption community. I love kids. If you listen to the show, you know I love kids. I want to adopt all the kids, but I already have four. Of course, you know, people are always like, are you going to adopt one more? Come on, April. I don't know if we can do that, but what I can do is help you adopt. And it's my passion to do that. I am compelled to help families on their journey and give opportunity and options for families that they didn't even know that some things existed like embryo adoption and, um, or that, you know, domestic infant adoption has changed so much. I mean, we are here to tell stories and be a great resource to you. If you have a story, we love to tell stories here, and we believe in storytelling that it's a great way to address real issues. If you have a story, I'd love to hear it. You can email me at afallon at adoptionnowpodcast.com. And if you need a resource, you can also email me there as well. That's afallon at adoptionnowpodcast.com. Okay, so this episode is super important to me. I'm so honored to have a returning guest. Adrienne Collins has become a dear friend of mine. She came on the show last year and she came on with her husband. So it was the first time that we had a perspective from the birth father. So she's a birth mother and then she had her husband on who's a birth father and they placed their first child with another family and then they went on to get married. They had three children. They adopted a son And then they connected with their daughter and readopted her. It's a crazy story. You're probably like, what happened? Well, you can hear the full story at adoptionnowpodcast.com. It's under birth parents to adoptive parents, a male and female perspective. It's a great story. Adrienne, welcome back to the show. Thanks, April. It's just great to be here. We're going to talk about some heavy things, huh? We are. And you trust me. I do. I do trust you. This is the first time you've talked about it. This is the first time I have ever talked about this piece of my story in public. Yes. I just feel so, I mean, the only word I can say is honored. I really, really do that you would trust us and that you would come on and answer these hard questions. You're a writer, you're an adoption advocate, and I want to tell you that I have a wonderful social media director. I mean, she's amazing. She does all of our clips and she's always on Instagram and she's helping promote Adoption Now. And she's always using your quotes. She's like, who is this Adrian lady? She's amazing. I love her quotes. Oh, I love that. So you're an excellent writer and you write from the perspective of not only the birth mom, but the adoptive mother. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is just an insight that most people don't have. But you are able to articulate it in a way where you feel the heart through everything you're writing. So tell us where people can find your writings. And you're writing a memoir, right? 
I am. I am finalizing my first memoir, and so it should be ready this spring. But any updates on that will be at adriancollins.com. And I'm super excited about it. But I love to write about the perspective of being a birth mom, adoptive mom, and what it means to be a readoptive mom. It's just, I do want to write from all different perspectives of what I have experienced and what I've learned. You have become a great friend to me because you and I sit and we talk about everything, the good and the bad. And when you're out there promoting adoption or talking about adoption, you can get some negative feedback. And that can be really shocking to me. It's shocking. I'm like, what? These kids are happy and and I love their birth family and they have amazing stories, but there is a lot of pain that surrounds adoption. And you address that really well because you're also a birth parent. Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, my story as a birth parent began when I was a junior in college. Jack and I had become pregnant and and he was at a different college than I was at the time. And so it really was a very lonely period for me in a Christian school and having to make a decision of what is the best for my child. When I was going through that, I didn't have a big support system. I just kept it to myself. And I remember just not knowing what I was going to do, where I was going to go, how it was going to end. And so there was this time, I would think I was sitting in this um, chapel service and I fainted. I was about three months pregnant, maybe a little bit farther along. And someone brought me to the nurse and I had talked about this before, but the nurse there, I remember her saying to me, you are not meant to be a baby factory. I'm going to schedule an abortion for you. That was the only piece of information or only influence I had at that time. I hadn't told my parents, hadn't told anybody else. So I just kind of went into this mode of, I, she's right. I'm going to have to make this choice and, and I'm going to uphold my Christian reputation. I'm going to uphold my leadership positions. No one's going to know. I'm going to keep moving forward and I'm going to go through with this. And so I found myself driving to an abortion clinic and walking inside and laying on that table waiting for that procedure. And there was a moment there where I thought I was ready. I thought I could do it. And they brought in an ultrasound just to kind of see how far along I was. And it always been explained to me that it was just a tissue. I mean, there was no, nothing there but a tissue. And I think that maybe helped me even lay on that procedure table just to be like, okay, you know, this is just what it is. And it's just... There's nothing there. But when they brought this ultrasound picture and I was watching it, there was life. I mean, there was moving arms and legs and just this crazy rapid heartbeat. I just jumped from that table and bolted out the door. And that moment, I didn't really have a plan B, Mm -hmm. but I knew I had to choose life because there was a time years earlier when I had made a very different choice. So you did not share that on our first podcast, but the reason why we reconnected is I have a very dear friend and we were missionaries together and we are very close. And last January, so nine months ago, she said, I have to talk to you. I have to have lunch with you. And so we went out and she said, I'm pregnant. And I was like, am I supposed to be happy? I mean, I didn't really know how to respond. And then I really looked at her. And when you really look at somebody that you really know and you see a difference, a huge difference. And what I saw in her was fear, 100% fear. And she said, 
I'm pregnant and I, April, I, I don't want to tell you this, but I'm going to, I'm going to abort. I mean, this is a girl that I've known for years. We were in the mission. We have the same belief system. She knows that I am pro-adoption. She knows I've told her that there are 2.5 million families waiting for a baby. And she's telling me she's going to abort. But then I'm seeing her face and she's terrified. And I had never seen that before. That was the missing component, that human component that we don't talk about is that there is a fearful woman trying to make a decision that's best for her life, that she thinks is best maybe for the baby, that feels easiest, maybe less humiliating, and maybe you wouldn't have to tell the full story. I mean, all at that moment, and all I could say to her was, you have to talk to Adrian. You have to talk to Adrian. I have to talk to Adrian. (laughs) I don't even know how to handle this. Like, I want to love you. All I want to do is love you, and I support you no matter what. But I knew that when you came on this show, You pulled me aside after and you said, actually, my journey didn't start at adoption. So let's go back in your journey. High school? Yes, high school. I was 16 years old and I was dating a person. I mean, I really had no business dating and we were in a situation that we had no business being in. And and when I, I remember sitting in my after school, I was sitting in my bathroom at home and, and took this pregnancy test and it was positive. And I just remember running around my house, just screaming and crying out, Jesus. Cause I just, I was terrified. I had no idea what to do. I had been raised in a Baptist church. We had a huge list of what not to do. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that was I mean, that was it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had I had fallen short. I was a sinner. There was no way out of this. There was no one I could talk to. Really didn't feel comfortable going to my parents. I really didn't feel like my church community was open to hearing what I had to say. I mean, I, I, I didn't have friends that I could talk to. I felt completely alone, desperate, afraid, there are no words to, to describe just how empty you feel. Mm-hmm. And I remember going to school maybe two weeks later. And at the time, we you know, we didn't have cell phones. And so I snuck into the teacher's lounge and I grabbed the yellow pages. And the only thing I knew to do was looked up, look up, you know, a Planned Parenthood. I was in the teacher's lounge and I picked up the phone and called the number and no questions asked. I was able to come in the next day. I just remember going into just this trance, almost a fog of just, I have to, I have to get rid of this. And it wasn't just the baby. It was the fear, the loneliness, the, the connection to this boyfriend that I had no, no business being with and was borderline abusive at the time. And more than just the baby, I just wanted to clear myself of of everything I wanted to start over and have a fresh start at life and just begin again. And the only, I didn't want to be tied to this one event the rest of my life and tied to this person. And the only thing I could think of to do was that the abortion would solve that piece for me. And so I remember having my boyfriend at the time drive me to this clinic and and we walked inside and they called my name and he wanted to go with me. And I said, no, no, I'm doing this on myself. And I remember sitting on the table and looking at all these white, sparkling floor tiles and just thinking, oh my, how do they keep this all white and clean? 
when there's so much bloodshed in here. It just was so disconnecting to me. The place was comforting and, and white and beautiful and it just felt like I it could escape and it would be okay. And, you know, I remember the sound of what would be maybe a vacuum, mm -hmm. looking at the ceiling tiles and counting to 10 and just waiting for everything to be over. And the sound turned off and I sat up and there was this moment of complete relief. And it just didn't last that long. Maybe minutes, hours. I went back in my boyfriend's car and I just couldn't wait to get out of his car and just get away from him. But there was no escaping what I had done. There was nowhere to go. And now it just, that moment of the decision that I had just made was just all enveloped in me. And I had nowhere else to go, but I drove myself to church. I remember just sitting in the car, this 16-year-old girl driving to church. It was the middle of a week. Nobody was there. I remember opening up these doors and and it was just me in this in the cross. I remember just walking toward this cross and just sitting there and just crying. I just said, I'm sorry, over and over again. If anybody asked me what my first encounter is with knowing that there is a God, that was my first encounter. Mm. I knew he was there. I knew I was forgiven. I just couldn't accept it for myself. Mm -hmm. And the only thing I could think of to do was just find some kind of normalcy. Mm -hmm. And so I went back home, put on my cheerleading outfit, still bleeding, cramping, feeling awful. And I went to cheerleading practice. And there was this maneuver we were all trying to do. And I was the little one. They were always trying to have to do jumps and I fell smack on my head in the middle of this floor. I remember just curling up in a ball and just sobbing. And it was that moment that I was like, I'm never going to be back to normal. Chilling mm -hmm. practice, whatever it is, I, there is no new normal. Mm -hmm. It's just, I'm stuck with this. Did your parents notice a difference? No, not at first. They had no idea that I had gone through that. I kept it hidden secret from everybody. They did, however, maybe about two or three weeks later, discover some medication I had in my back pocket. I don't, I don't know what it was at the time. It probably was an anti-clotting medication of something, but they had discovered it. My mom had invited me to go to IHOP for breakfast, and she never invites me to go to breakfast. So it was, it was, <laughs> I was surprised. I didn't know what I was getting in for, but I remember her, sitting across from her having pancakes, and she brought, she brought out the medication and put it on the table across from me and uh, I knew at that point I was caught but the only thing she said was I just didn't know you were sexually active there was no I'm so sorry for what you had to go through I'm so sorry what can I do to help it was just I didn't know you had made that choice on your own and that was it there was no other conversation everything was swept under the rug no one's asked me about it since. I just felt again, that was just something I was supposed to keep stuffed inside. Mm -hmm. So there was no follow-up with my parents or anybody. The boyfriend at the time I ended up, became so abusive that I ended up having to get a restraining order against him and sat in a courtroom by myself testifying against him. 
I mean, the burdens that I started carrying and keeping inside were really destructive. I mean, it really, I just felt lost. I felt like I had nowhere to go, nowhere to say, nothing to say other than I'm going to have to earn back my favor with God. Mm -hmm. And to do that, I'm going to be the best Christian possible, Mm -hmm. which is also a big fat lie. Mm -hmm. But that's what I told myself. And then I wouldn't tell a doctor. I wouldn't tell anybody what I had done or gone through or any of that. But that guilt and shame just stayed with me for years that followed. And it wasn't until I got pregnant again where that all came up. And when I found myself once again in an abortion clinic, like, how do I do this a second time? Mm-hmm. I mean, what does that say? Have I learned anything? What am I here for? And But no one showed me that I was carrying anything more than a tissue. And mm-hmm. it just didn't even register to me that I could make a different choice and do something different. Mm-hmm. And so that second time around, when I ended up choosing adoption and giving life, I mean, carrying a child for nine months and then having to say goodbye is extremely traumatic. Mm. But the reward for carrying my baby to term is far greater. Really? Than what I experienced with an abortion. Talk to me about that. I mean, there's a sense of hope that comes along with that. I mean, there's a sense of peace that I think that made it almost gave me ability to say, I've done my part. I gave this child a chance. Mm. And even though I'm not ready to take care of her now, I know somebody else can. Mm -hmm. And that was so freeing that it fascinates me when, when people say to me, how could you carry a baby and, and just give them up? I could never do that. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you have any idea what I went through before to be able to make that decision mm-hmm. and live with myself after that? Right. You have no idea. Well, in adoption, you changed three people's lives, right? You gave life, but then there's this couple that couldn't have children and you've changed their lives, you know? And so in that sense, the people on the outside will say, but for you, didn't it make you feel, like you said, proud that it, it was painful? Don't get me wrong. Because there's not sure. an easy answer. No, there really is not. There's, there's three not. choices and all of them are hard, right? You can have an abortion, adoption, or you can parent. And all three are challenging. Exactly. But in the choice of adoption, it's like you're kind of the hero in the story. Do you feel that way? I feel that way as an adoptive mom. <laughs> as a birth parent, it's, no, I did not feel like a hero. It's an interesting, I mean, even looking back, it was just, I think just the peace with giving a child a chance at life and a chance to have a family. I think that choice made me just walk away and saying, you know what? I did the best I could mm-hmm. at that time. Do I feel like a hero? No, I. but I, I could live with that choice. That mm-hmm. choice I could live with. So it was more peaceful. Definitely more peaceful. Mm-hmm. Now, what about your birth mother of your son? Because you have an adopted son. Do you feel she's a hero for giving him life? Oh, sure. Yes. Absolutely. But on the flip side, <laughs> on the you flip do. Side, yes. Yes. Because I know what she's been through. I know mm-hmm. what she's, I know the choice she had. Mm-hmm. I know that it is, in a sense, easier. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds horrible, but it is easier to walk into an abortion clinic 
and to have a procedure within seconds and walk up and nobody has to know a single thing. Mm -hmm. Nobody. It is much more terrifying to put yourself out there in front of crowds of people, churches included, pastors, youth leaders, everyone, parents, cousins, family, and say, here I am and I am in a situation I cannot handle. I'm pregnant, but I'm going to choose adoption and then have everybody else have opinions about that. And Mm -hmm. you get fed that. That's so much more difficult. Mm -hmm. So there's a sense where abortion seems easier. Mm -hmm. It also seems like it's going to be this relief and maybe for a second, Mm -hmm. maybe two, but it doesn't stay. I mean, that guilt and shame lingers Mm -hmm. so much so that, you know, I'm at a point in my life where I have these teenagers who are trying to form their ideas about the world and life and, and everything right now is so black and white, but I have this son who, you know, they're not afraid to say what they think. They see the word abortion that comes up on, on the news and they say, oh my gosh, how could anybody do that? You know, how could anybody murder their child? And just recently, I had to look at one and say, you be so careful. Mm-hmm. You are talking about your mom. You have no idea the mm-hmm. people, the woman that is behind that screen, behind that door and what she is going through. Mm-hmm. She is terrified. She is alone and she is scared and she just needs someone to hold her hand and walk her through it. Mm-hmm. She needs to be able to sit into a church and be totally accepted and loved right where she is, whether mm-hmm. she chose to abort or not. Right. right. And I'm like, the person you marry, I promise you, she will have baggage and you will learn to love her and walk her through whatever she's carrying into that wedding ceremony with you. Mm-hmm. And so that was very hard to start telling my children that side, but I really felt that that was something I was called to do. Mm-hmm. Well, when I sat with my friend and I said, you have to talk to Adrian because, I mean, I think for me, it's easy to say, there's all these families. Don't, don't do that. I mean, I wanted to just jump out of my skin. Like, what are you doing? You have the same faith as I do. You can't choose this. But like you said, this overwhelming fear. And I I jumped into that with her instead, instead of like all the right things to say. (laughs) Because all the right things to say at the wrong time can be completely devastating. Sure. So I said nothing. I just said, I want you to talk to Adrian. She's this mother who has had an abortion. She has placed a child up for adoption and she has parented. And she knows all three. And she can tell you the pain with all three of them. And so that you can make a decision, not out of fear. Make a decision that's best for you. And of course, I want to be like, "Ah, abortion's not the best, right? Because I'm so passionate about giving babies life and their gift. And you know what I'm so confused about is like there are these families that are infertile. They cannot have children, right? And they're like crying and they want to have this baby. And then there's these mothers that are pregnant and then they're aborting. And it's like, this doesn't make sense. Why why is this happening? And why can't these families have children? There's all these things going on in my head. And all I could do was love her. And I said, I just love you. Please talk to her. And she said, what do you think? Let's say I don't talk to her. What do you think? She would say. I said, I think that she came on my show and she told me a ton about her life that was hard and painful. And she didn't tell me about her abortion. And that speaks volumes to me. She didn't want to talk about that. 
The other stuff was hard and she talked about it, but she didn't want to talk about that. That tells me that it's so painful to a woman to choose to end a life. And even though they do choose it and there's healing for them and there's forgiveness, that pain stays with them. I know that when we adopted our daughter, Lily, we had a family member with us and I did not know this, but in the midst of, in the room of adopting her, the birth parents are there. She says to them and she can barely choke out, thank you for giving this baby life. And and they're like, oh, you're welcome. And she said, because I, I wasn't as brave as you, and I chose abortion. We didn't know this. She can't even choke out the words. I mean, this woman is like in her 60s. This was years ago, and she can't spit it out. And she's thanking them. You know, I didn't have the guts like you did, and you chose adoption. And now this baby's a part of our family. Thank you. But I realized then, oh, my gosh, there's so much pain in abortion. And that's what we really really need to talk about because there's a scared woman behind that abortion screaming you're killing your baby i mean is that really helpful i mean those times have passed and they aren't useful they aren't not they don't breed any life i mean screaming picketing and all that stuff what we need to say is like what was it like and tell me the difference between all of them and that's what she needed Mm. she just gave birth yeah two weeks ago she had a baby boy she chose to parent she yelled at me the entire nine months. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't, I was going to support you no matter what you chose. Cause that's the kind of friend I want to be. I don't want to be somebody that's like, oh, I don't want to add to your pain or to your shame. I want to, I'm not in your shoes. I don't know what that feels like, but I want to be there for you. And that's what we just need to do is, and like you said, you were so afraid to tell people we need to get rid of that shame. And we need to really talk about what is it like to leave and the days after, and the years after, after an abortion, and what's it like after an adoption. And here's the deal with your story. You place, and it was hard, but your daughter is back with you. Mm-hmm. You know, you have this child that you have a relationship with, and that is so life-giving. Absolutely. There is nothing that is more beautiful than being able to have your own child, your daughter come back into your arms and just say, thank you for giving me life. I mean, she has said to me many times, thank you for giving me life. I mean, that is just priceless. It is so beautiful. And I will never have the opportunity to say that to the child that I didn't choose to give life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes I think about that. Will I be able to see that child in heaven Mm -hmm. and say, I'm sorry? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know what that looks like, but that pain will carry with me. But I will say the shame will not. Because once I understood that I had already been forgiven and that I had already rested in God's grace, that was the time for me to say no more. We need to start holding the hand of another, walking them through the pain walking them through choices and just say, I will love you and I will be here for you no matter what. I will tell you both sides. I will tell you, but the more we shut down and stuff in and refuse to speak about, I mean, that six-year-old woman you talk about, that breaks my heart. Mm -hmm. That for six years, she feels like she can't speak of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the thing is why we got to go back to these sweet girls that are in Mm -hmm. that place and catch them in that time and where they are and say, I'm going to be here for you no matter what. It's such a important thing to talk about because as an adoptive mother, I need to educate myself so that I can reach out and so that I can be 
equipped with the right tools when I'm in that situation. I was not when I started. I think I would have looked at my friend and been like, suck it up. You know better. You know, I mean, maybe not. I probably wouldn't have said that, but you know what I mean? I wouldn't have understood. Or when I talked to a birth mother, the story is really not about the birth mother, right? It's about us. No, no, I want to, I, I learned, I want to adopt her story. I want to know who she is because I'm raising a part of her and she's a woman who is in distress and I need to learn to love her. It's just important to me to recognize what's happening in the adoption community. Mm-hmm. I hate to use this word, but industry, mm-hmm. right? We're a $14 yeah. billion dollar industry, 2.5 million families waiting. And there's a lot going on. And if I can speak into a fearful woman and say, we hear you, we see you, we care about you. Would you consider changing the life for not only your child, but for these families waiting on a list that cannot conceive? And you know what? We're doing better training now that you may even get a secondary family. If you find the right family, this family could adopt you in and you become a part of their family. Open adoption is huge now. Mm -hmm. And we need to change the culture and start saying, these women can become heroes. My birth mothers are heroes. They chose life and they gave me these babies to raise. I mean, in my home, we honor them. Mm -hmm. They chose a hard thing. And a lot of them and a lot of our birth parent stories have chosen adoption and abortion before like you. And they have said the same thing to me, Adrian. They have said, adoption was hard, but better on my heart. I would never do an abortion again. I would just never do it. It was horrible. And afterwards, what I went through and the grief I experienced was horrible. And that's what I told my friend. I said, talk to Adrian. I want you to think about afterwards. I know you're afraid right now, but let's think about afterwards. I want to know what your advice would be if a woman came up to you and she said, I'm, I'm pregnant and I'm going in for an abortion. What would you say? Well, I think it's so powerful about what you just said about... I know you're afraid right now, but let's think about after. Mm -hmm. When you're in that moment, your judgment, and I will say my judgment, was completely clouded. Mm -hmm. There was no rational thought other than I have got to escape the situation that I'm in. I couldn't see anything beyond right at that moment. Mm -hmm. And so it's very hard to make a rational choice that is not fear-driven in that moment. Mm -hmm. So if a girl came up to me and asked what she should do, I would do the same thing. It's let's look about, let's think about your future because this isn't the end of your life. You know, being pregnant is not the end Mm. of your life. I mean, there, like you said, there are families waiting, but there are families waiting to take care of you Mm. and hold your heart through this process. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what we're missing is going to the, to the source of, and saying, not judging or condemning and obviously picketing is a huge waste of time, but holding the hands of these girls and saying, I'm going to walk you through this and be here for every moment, not just set up in my church, some recovery, post-adoption recovery. You're missing it. Mm-hmm. You're not there for them in the very beginning. I mean, their churches have to be open and welcoming friendships, families, and say, I'm going to take you through this process. So if a girl came to me, I would, say, before you jump into this decision, I know you're afraid right now, but I want you to think of what you would feel after this and what you're going to feel 20 years from now, Mm. 40 years Mm -hmm. from now. But how are you going to feel if you choose life? And how can you live with yourself? I mean, not to say 
your life is destroyed, but how are you going to live with your decisions? And so I have learned to accept these decisions that bring heartache because I don't feel like we're called into shame the rest of our lives, mm-hmm. but I would definitely point to another girl and say, I don't want you to suffer the same way I did. Mm-hmm. How can I help you through this? Give us advice on parenting. You wished your mom would have said different oh, things. Gosh. Let's say right now we have a parent and their daughter is in this place. What can they say and what can they do to help them? I think just, and again, I am not a perfect parent. So all I know is to be open and honest with my kids and to not be scared and to open up and say, you're going to have difficult times ahead. I'm here. I'm going to walk you through something. My door is always going to be open for you to come and share this with me because the moment that wall is up and the door is closed and there's nowhere to go, that child is going to find somewhere else. And probably the first person that tells them to have an abortion or adoption or whatever it is, if they can grab onto one piece of influence that makes it feel safe for that moment, that's where they're going to gravitate to. Mm-hmm. So all it took for me as a nurse at a Christian college to tell me, I'm going to call make an abortion a time for you to go. I mean, that was the piece of advice I had. That was all I had. Mm-hmm. And I was going to hold on to that. And so if I had a parent that, and again, I don't fault them. I think they were doing the best that they could at the time. Mm-hmm. But it has taught me a ton about being a parent and how open I need to be with my own kids, how I need to make sure they can come to me no matter what is going on with lies and tell them this is not the end of the world. This is not the end of your life. There's a whole other side. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to walk you through to the other side till we get there. Okay, one last question. This is a hard one. But how does it make you feel when you hear people calling women who have had an abortion murders? Oh, I cringe. It is the most condescending, judgmental, condemning thing you can say. It's so easy to be a Pharisee, isn't it? <laughs> and just point out everyone's sins. And put that one on a pedestal and call someone a murderer. There are so many ways we murder in our heart for so many different reasons. And that just destroys me. You have no idea what that girl has been through. Mm-hmm. And how hard it was for her to s- climb up on a procedure table and count to 10, watch the ceiling tiles above her, and wait for the vacuuming sound to go off. You have no, they have no idea mm-hmm. how horrific that is. And the sound that they remember the rest of their life. I mean, to pinpoint that one moment into a title of murder is just beyond comprehension to me. Mm -hmm. It's hateful. And my own home, I won't tolerate it because I'm like, you don't have any ideas the shoes that that girl walked through Mm -hmm. or walked in. When we say things like that, that's when you silence the person. Absolutely. And what we need are people like you who will come on a show and talk about it who will help us engage and understand. Because when we understand the story, we can't judge the story as fast. Mm. And when we start to slow down and realize what adoption, abortion, trafficking is all about, for me, I want to get involved. I want to know more. I want to hear more stories. I, I want women to talk. Talk to me. Talk to the next generation. You have to talk. Right? Because if you stay silent and we shame you and, and silence you, then we don't have this story for somebody's daughter, for my daughter. For I mean, I'm not saying, but I'm just saying, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. And we need these voices to come out. And I, I just thank you so much for being brave. Right? You could have heard a pin drop in this <laughs> interview. 
Well, thank you for having me. And I'm honored to be here and be able to share it with you. And I hope it's, I hope it touches somebody, whether it's a mom or a daughter or a leader or a birth parent, adoptive parent, whoever. I mean, just know that there are these women out there that just need to know they're loved Mm -hmm. and forgiven and accepted for who they are. Mm -hmm. Amen to that. Okay, one more time. Where can people find your writings? If you go to www.adriancollins.com, my writing is there, and then you can wait to get information on when the book will come out. Awesome. You can find her on Facebook and Instagram, Adrian C. Collins. Don't forget to like us on Adoption Now on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and remember all of our podcasts are available on iTunes. Thank you for tuning into Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. See you next week.